Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. We're being so quiet. Why? <laughs> It's daytime. Everyone's it's, still sleeping. It's the morning. <laughs> uh, so you're going to do the patrons? Oh, yeah. Okay. I feel like we haven't done this show in like 10 days. Yeah. It's been a while. It actually hasn't. It's, it really hasn't. No, actually it hasn't. You're right. <laughs> uh, okay. Our Patreon shout outs for this week are Caitlin, Natalie, H, Angie, Alice, Tyresha, Andrea, Cassie, Emmer and the Countess, Rosie, Summer, Alicia, Lupe, Mike, Brooke, Alex, Kate, Kara, Kathy, Jenna, and Emily. Thank you. Thank so you much. so much. Oh, and by the way, that's patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Go there. Uh, so this has been an episode I've been promising I'd do for a while, at least, I mean, it's actually two stories in one. So one of the stories that I had been promising to do for a while is the story of the S.H.I.E.L.D. actor, Michael Jace. This was requested by a friend of the pod, Stephanie Wilder-Taylor. She is co-host on three pods you should check out for Crying Out Loud, Bored as Fuck, and Rose Pricks, a Bachelor recap show. I felt guilty that I haven't managed to get around to this yet. Um, But I finally did. Since there are no books on this case, I relied on a ton of old newspaper articles to get what I could. And since this case was definitely not going to be long enough for a full episode, I decided to combine it with a story that involves another actor from a popular FX show, Sons of Anarchy. And that is the story of actor Johnny Lewis, who played Half Sack on the show. You remember Half Sack? Of course I do. I mean, look, I knew the story before I watched the show. So Me too. So it was definitely weird. Yeah, I was like really sad whenever he would come on screen. Well, because his character on the show is is a good character. I mean, yeah. he's a sweet guy. Yeah. So I used a lot of old newspapers for this as well. Um, and an article by friend of the pod, Billy Jensen for LA Magazine about the case. But first up, we will cover lots Michael. of friends of the pod. We got some friends. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we got to credit like them. Billy Jensen. Wow. <laughs> so I know I was shocked. That was like the only in-depth article available, and it's old. It's like from when the case happened. Uh, okay. So first up, Michael Jace. Michael Jace grew up in Patterson, New Jersey, and began his professional acting career in 1992, appearing on Law and Order. I feel like a lot of people get their first acting job on one of the Law and Order shows, especially in New York, our East Coast-based yeah. actors. There's a lot of roles. There's new roles every episode. That's right. And in 1994, he started appearing in more TV shows, including Star Trek Deep Space Nine and films like Clear and Present Danger and Forrest Gump, where he portrayed the leader of the Black Panthers. He consistently works in the 90s and early 2000s in in more movies like Strange Days, Boogie Nights, 
and Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes remake. 2002 was a big year for him, full of highs and lows. He was cast as Officer Julian Lowe on the FX show The Shield, and his character on the show is a devout Christian whose faith um, puts him at odds with his... He's a closeted gay man. I, I watched like the first few episodes, so I definitely remember this character. And like you said... I knew what had happened to him in real life. So I was like, oh, that's that guy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. And he's also, he's surrounded by like cops who are, you know, immoral and doing bad stuff. And he tries to keep this like uh, good guy line. In 2002, he also begins a very contentious divorce and custody fight with his first wife, Jennifer Bitterman. Legal papers will later confirm that Jennifer accused him of being a serial abuser during these hearings. She claimed that he was a horrible father who made his son cower in fear with his intimidation style of discipline. She claimed that Jace would threaten the boy with corporal punishment, spanking him for crying or for being afraid, which is just really sad. Uh, She said that Jordan would cry and beg not to go when he had to spend time with his father. And she encouraged him to be brave, saying that he he would never hurt you. He loves you and you're safe with him. Now, he was also abusive towards Jennifer, according to her and witnesses. A friend of hers claimed that she witnessed Jace choking and slamming Jennifer against a wall as his six-month-old son wailed in the crib. The friend said that seeing the extent of his anger was one of the most terrifying things I have ever seen, and that there were multiple rage-filled assaults that happened during their marriage. These proceedings would drag out for years, during which Michael began dating another woman named April Lawn. Now, April was from Hawthorne, California, and was an elite runner. She was once ranked as high as number five in the United States and was a 2011 World Championship finalist individually in the 100 meters and won a gold medal on the USA 4x100 meters relay team. When her career as an elite athlete was over, she moved into education, getting a degree in early childhood development. And she worked uh, as a teacher for LAUSD before taking a job at Biola University, where she was a well-liked financial aid counselor. Michael and April got married in 20, um, I'm sorry, 2004, while this custody hearing is still going on. Now, despite these horrific allegations, Michael's biggest defender in court was his new wife, April. April told the divorce judge that Michael provided a stable home for his child, um, and she never really addressed any of the other abuse claims uh, that Jennifer lobbed at Michael. Um, When Jordan was with them, she said there was no stress on his part. In fact, he was worried about his mom when he was there more than his father. During one hearing, she said that Jordan at bedtime would say he prays for his mom and asks God to protect her while he's not there with her. Now, Michael, the abuser, was not the man she knew. uh, And a lot of these allegations are coming out in a custody case. So, It was probably easy for her to dismiss them as lies of a bitter ex. And there was no criminal records of any of these incidents, which we all know doesn't mean anything, but I'm just giving context to what was happening here. There were no records of any of these things. Uh, She never filed a charge or called the cops. So it's really hard to say what went down. April came into the marriage with a son of her own, and the couple would eventually have two more boys together, one in 2006 and one in 2009. Now, The Shield ends in 2008 after seven seasons and 88 episodes. 
And post The Shield, Jace appeared in a few films, uh, including State of Play with Russell Crowe, as well as having a few um, recurring roles on television series, including Southland. But his career doesn't really take off as much as he thought after appearing on a critical and commercially successful show. The career drought really started causing some financial issues, and he was a victim of the housing crash in the late uh, 2000s. Jace filed for bankruptcy in 2011 in a desperate bid to straighten out these financial troubles, but he still owed about $411,000 on the home, which was underwater and facing a foreclosure sale. He was also delinquent on tax payments, and obviously all of these money things put a heavy strain on the marriage. He eventually, um, like I said, filed for bankruptcy bankruptcy protection. He listed his debts between $500 and $1 million. And he said his home was worth less than he owed on it. He agreed to a repayment plan under the terms of the bankruptcy, but pretty much fell um, out of those payments. It was like $2,000 a month, I think, by November of 2013. Uh, He listed his assets in these filings, and one of the boxes he checked was that he did not own any guns, but he did have his father-in-law's gun in the house. Now, as with any marriage, the financial strains I mentioned earlier began affecting this relationship. He began to suspect that April was having an affair, which she adamantly denied. But April was very unhappy in the marriage and wanted out, and Michael knew it. Although they were still living together, the couple became more and more estranged, and their only interactions would usually lead to fights. On May 19th, 2014, April took her two sons to the eight-year-old's Little League game. Michael texted his wife at some point that he would not be home when they returned. What April didn't know was that Michael was at rock bottom, on the verge of losing everything financially, and in his mind on the verge of losing his family too. He had been drinking all day while the family was out, sitting alone with his father-in-law's gun, trying to work up the nerve to kill himself. But later that evening, something went down something else went down entirely. Around 8 p.m., Michael Jace called his then father-in-law, telling him he had shot April and to come to the house to take the couple's two young children. April's father got in the car and called 911 on his way to their Hyde Park home. In the three-minute call, he said, my son-in-law called me and texted me. He said, come get the kids because he shot April, our daughter. At the same time Michael is calling 911, he says to the operator, I shot my wife, and then stays on the phone with them until police arrive, just saying nothing. Around 8.30 p.m., the police arrive and they find April dead from gunshot wounds. Both kids are also there, witnessing, having witnessed their dad pull <gasps> the trigger before he called April's dad and 911. Uh, according to Detective Sal La, La Barbara, He said, the children were not physically hurt, but obviously their emotions are running high. Two young children lost their mom, and now their dad is in jail, most likely will be in prison for this. The boys, who are both under 10, were taken to their grandparents after the shooting, and cops took Michael Jace away in handcuffs, and he would be held on $1 million bail. So after being questioned by police regarding his wife's death, he confesses to the shooting, On May 20th, 2014, he is arrested and booked for the murder. On May 22nd, he is formally charged with a murder by the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. Now, neighbors, of course, are shocked and describe this actor as a doting father. They said they never saw or heard signs of trouble coming from the Jace home. Uh, And a prosecutor, once again, said there was no evidence of any previous domestic violence by Jace towards April, 
But I mean, obviously, all of that is irrelevant at this point. Where did he live? Where was Hyde that? Park neighborhood? I don't know oh, where that is. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know where that is. Okay. Is that like South, South LA? South LA. Okay. Yeah. The family of April Jace released a statement calling her death a senseless act of domestic violence. And they said that their focus right now was getting justice and obviously April's three sons. So two years after this happens, he finally uh, is standing trial for murder. In opening statements, Deputy District Attorney Tanaz Mokiev portrayed Jace as a calculating killer. You will hear that on May 19th, 2014, the defendant took a loaded gun, a revolver, and waited for his wife to come home and then shot her in the back and shot her two more times in front of their kids. But Jace's attorney called the case tragic as well in his opening statements, but he said the case boils down to not whether or not Michael Jace did it, he admits to doing it, but what was his mindset at the time and the fact that in their opinion, it was not premeditated at all. He said, this case is not about how it was done. We acknowledge it. We accept responsibility. This case is about why it was done. A key element of their case would be trying to present evidence of April's affair as the thing that made Jace eventually snap. And the judge agreed that limited information about the fa- this supposed affair would be allowed to be presented at trial. Now, one of the ways they were going to look for this evidence was by unlocking April's iPhone. Now, with older iPhones, it was much easier to hack into. Uh, later iPhones, you needed to actually get Apple to hack into them sometimes, as we saw in the San Bernardino mass shooting terrorism case. And Apple had some, uh, they were like fighting it. They right. weren't like sure. And I think it's just one of those things where it's like, is this legal? Um, but there's no evidence of an affair. It's just on this phone, it's just April's denials and texts with Michael. Um, and evidence of fights they had in the days leading up to her murder. This is also where it's discovered that the text messages um, Michael sent her the day of the murder, that he wasn't going to um, be at home uh, when they arrived back. Uh, so, But he was waiting for, for them with a loaded handgun. So not a great thing for the defense no. to have uncovered, but yeah. And this also doesn't really work well for them saying it wasn't premeditated, amongst other reasons. Now, one of the star witnesses on this case was the 10-year-old son, he's now 10, he was eight when it happened, who gave chilling eyewitness testimony on what happened that day. The boy told the jurors that his father was in a dining room when they arrived home, and his mother and younger brother sat on a couch for a a few moments before his father told his brother to go to his room. He said his father then pulled his mom by the arm into the hallway where she fell. This boy's name is Nehemiah. Uh, he said that he then heard his father say, if you like running, then run to heaven. And then he heard two more gunshots. The boy, um, I mean, obviously I mentioned earlier, April was an avid runner. So to shoot her and her legs was a very specific and deliberate act right. to hurt her in a specific way. Now, He doesn't testify uh, in this trial, but the transcript of his confession is um, played in court or read in court. Uh, In the transcript, Michael tells the police he shot his wife after she noticed the gun and lunged at him. That's when he pushed her away. And I think one of the gunshot wounds went off, but it was in her back. So that doesn't really make sense. He also tells detectives he wanted his wife to feel pain. And that's why he was just going to shoot her in the legs. Uh, he said, I was just angry. All I intended to do was shoot her in the legs. Then I shot her in the legs and that was it. 
He seemed confused about how many times he shot her and eventually broke down crying after detectives informed him that she was dead. This is during the initial interview. The actor also told detectives he had been drinking that day and had been contemplating taking his life but didn't have the courage and instead decided to harm his wife to, to make up for this pain he was whatever feeling. He then said to the detectives, I just ruined lives, four lives. I mean, you could put the needle in my arm right now and be done. I'm fine with that. So on May 31st, 2016, he is found guilty of second degree murder. At his sentencing in June of 2016, he apologized for what he did, saying there was no justification for my actions that night at all. And I am profoundly sorry for the pain I have caused everyone. There is no replacing April. His mother-in-law walked out of court Um, after Jace maintained that there was no premeditated anything. Deputy District Attorney um, Mokayoff told jurors that Jace was obsessed with his wife, who was trying to leave him amid his claims that she had been unfaithful to him, and said testimony from the couple's uh, 10-year-old son proves to you that it was premeditated. He said, Jace is saying the words that show premeditation, go to heaven. He said uh, Jace shot his wife at close range after having already shot her in the back. On June 10th, 2016, he is sentenced to 40 years to life in prison and is now serving time at Corcoran State Prison. So that's basically all the information I could get on that story. Really sad, awful. It's just heartbreaking. It's just sad thinking of those kids being there and seeing that and having to testify like that is so difficult for, he's 10 years old. It's just so awful. It's really sad. So we'll take a short break and be back with the story on Johnny Lewis. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. 
Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. On September 26, 2012, Dan Blackburn called 911 after a man attacked him, his wife, and a painter they had hired to do work on their Los Feliz home. They had barricaded themselves in the home to escape their attacker and watched as he scaled the fence climbing into the neighboring yard, a home known as the Writer's Retreat, owned and operated by 81-year-old Catherine Davis. Dan described the way the man jumped and climbed up this wall as being low-key Spider-Man. Just 30 minutes earlier, the man had introduced himself to Dan, saying he was his new neighbor and his name was John. When police arrived, they found John dead in the driveway, his skull caved in after seemingly falling from the roof or a large balcony above in this Spanish-style writer's retreat. Inside the house was an even more horrific discovery, the bodies of Catherine Davis and her cat. They would soon find out that the dead man was Sons of Anarchy actor, 28-year-old Johnny Lewis. He was also the lead suspect in this brutal murder of his landlady. Everything about the case was completely baffling. What could have led this successful actor to commit such a senseless crime? Investigators began combing over his background, looking for clues that could have led him down this path. Johnny Lewis grew up in Los Angeles, the middle child of Michael and Devona Lewis. His parents were Jewish, but were also practicing Scientologists, and Johnny was himself a Scientologist for most of his life. His parents were pretty hardcore. They actually attained the highest available level in Scientology, operating Theton or OT8, I guess. Johnny showed an artistic side from a young age, though, and in LA, that means you pretty much get into acting. His mom began taking him on auditions when he was six years old. He got his first role at seven in an escalator safety video. Commercials quickly followed. And then he had small roles in TV shows like Malcolm in the Middle and Seventh Heaven. Oh, Seventh Heaven. Now, some of his first acting roles were also Church of Scientology related. He starred in major tutorial videos for the church starting when he was around 16 years old. He was really like a church darling at this point. They used him in the cinema unit for these training films, and he stars in one film that that almost every Scientologist sees at some point as they're progressing. He reached clear level at the age of 16, meaning he only had three levels more before he was at the highest level with his parents. Now, he's also a sponsor of the Scientology drug rehabilitation program called Narconon. Do you know this program? I've definitely heard of it. So he helps promote this controversial drug rehab program up until at least 2004, telling people that his mom used Narconon materials to teach him to avoid drugs. A photo of him is used in Narconon like program website on the website like back then as well. So he had never even used drugs and he's like no. the spokesperson for yeah, this Yeah, see program? how good it works? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I always kick that stupid fucking pole. I know. I, I, I need to find the screw to fix it. Oh, is it a screw? Uh, anyway, so at 18, he leaves his parents' home. He has like enough money saved from his acting work and moves to Hollywood in a building called the Wilton Hilton. Now, this is like one of those apartment complexes that a lot of aspiring industry actor type people stay in, including Adam Brody before he was famous. 
So he later stars with Adam Brody, actually. Uh, he played Dennis Chili Childress on The O.C. I remember that. That's when Marissa went to the other school. I think it's season three. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the more dirtbag school because they were all skaters and surfers. Uh, and around the same time, he starts dating Katy Perry. So this is definitely uh, an interesting mix. He is the son of high-level Scientologists. She is the daughter of Pentecostal Christians. So it's definitely like a weird match, but they love each other. Uh, the romance doesn't last long, though, because she really wants to focus on her career, which was, I guess, a good call because yeah. her career gets pretty big. I mean, what was this, like 2008? This is 2005 when they dated. Oh, so she's not even... She's not anywhere yet. Yeah. Uh, wow. Two songs off of her Teenage Dream album are reportedly about Johnny, the one that got away, and Circle the Drain. I don't know. I've the, heard that Circle the Drain is about the guy from... Oh, what was that band? What was the name of that band? I mean, it could be anything. <laughs> Someone screaming, but it was another musician. Well, it's, who knows? I'm, it could be about no none uh, of them. People know I'm right. <laughs> His name might have been Travis. Travis Barker? No, no, no. It was like, hold on a second. Gym class heroes. I almost said handsome boy modeling school, but that's a totally different. Handsome boy that, modeling school is a real band. Yes. <laughs> I don't that's know a totally different band. But I, yes, she was in a relationship with one of the guys from gym class heroes. And ever, it was always reported that, that her song, Circle the Drain, was about that guy. I've well, never heard the song, but I, I just, don't know it either. I just remember reading that a lot. I mean, that's a very popular thing to do. Any ex, it's always it's always this them. one, that one. If especially if they're sort of well known, according to director Doug Usher, who lived with um, lived in that Wilton Hilton at the same time, he also edited his demo reels. He was incredibly talented. He was loved by everyone. He really merged with different groups very easily. He fit in anywhere, and a lot of people described him as this really nice, easygoing, hippie-type guy. And that's sort of what he looks like. Yeah. He has that vibe for sure. In 2008, he got the role of Kip Half-Sack Epps on Sons of Anarchy. And that's like around the same time when he really cut ties with the church as well. The show was a hit, and his character was very popular. But after two seasons, he asked to be written out of the show. He asked? Yeah. According to Kurt Sutter, who created the show, Johnny wasn't happy. Creatively, he really wanted out of his contract. His father said he left the show because of all the gratuitous violence, and he didn't really want to communicate that as an artist. Oh. No idea. I mean, maybe. It is a pretty violent show. <laughs> um, anyway, he lived off of his Sons of Anarchy money after that and decided he would focus on finishing his novel. In April of 2009, he contacted Catherine Davis about taking up residence at her writer's retreat and moved into the Red Suite on the second floor. He immediately took to the place and to Davis, who he spoke incredibly highly of. Everyone who knew her seemed to love her and the way she really nurtured these eccentric artist types. Now, known by her tenants as Miss Kathy, Kathy moved to LA in 1950, where she married Jim Davis, not the Garfield guy. Uh, they together bought this huge Spanish-style home in Los Feliz. They got divorced in the 80s, and she started a new phase in her life as a successful real estate agent. She began using her home as a place for clients to stay until they found their dream home, I guess like in those interim phases where they were kind of without a place to stay. Eventually, she turned it into more of a bed and breakfast for up-and-coming artists. Tenants included Val Kilmer, 
Parker Posey, Paula Poundstone. So she had really um, big people stay there before they were famous. Uh, it wasn't cheap. The rents were like sixteen hundred to three thousand a month. I don't know what's included in that. Like, do you get food or like what? Right. But it's a pretty. It wasn't like a cheap place to stay. Yeah. So I guess you weren't that struggling. You were like in between. But part of the allure of this place was Kathy herself, who I mentioned was very nurturing and mother-like, especially when these artists would face disappointments. She was always there to kind of encourage them. So it was really like a retreat environment. Um, It was very warm and inviting. And Johnny's first day there was very great, um, but short. He, in the summer of 2009, learned that his new girlfriend, actress Diane Marshall Green, was pregnant. In April of 2010, they had their daughter, Kala May, and they were no longer romantically involved at that point, but they went to an apartment in Hollywood to raise their child together. That obviously didn't work out very well, and a bitter custody battle ensued, which he lost, and that devastated him. In October of 2011, he was driving his motorcycle to or near 29 Palms, and he lost control and had a really bad motorcycle crash. He was tested for signs of concussion, but all tests came back negative. And Johnny's dad really felt like something was off. Johnny's behavior seemed more erratic uh, in the aftermath of this accident. And friends also noticed weird um, behavior changes as well, including talking in a sort of light British accent sometimes randomly, which he would just kind of like be like, no, 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 no. Like, so it was definitely things people were noticing. His dad, Michael, wanted to schedule additional MRIs to see if there was um, any injury to his brain, but Johnny refused, insisting he was fine. But things only got more and more bizarre. He was recovering with his parents at their Northridge condo in January of 2012 when his first truly bizarre criminal incident occurred. On the morning of January 3rd, Johnny went for a walk in his parents' condo neighborhood While passing a nearby uh, residence, he claimed that he heard cries and entered the unit. Eventually, two men arrived and asked him to leave, but Johnny attacked the men with an empty Perrier bottle he saw in the um, condo. A huge fistfight ensued, uh, and Johnny bit one of the men, but he was eventually overpowered, and they detained him until police arrived and arrested him. He claimed it was in self-defense, but was charged with trespassing, burglary, and assault with a deadly weapon, and he was sent to Twin Towers Jail. What was the, was the burglary for the Perrier? The burglary? He was I don't charged know. With bur- I guess when you break in, maybe they think it's burglary. I have no idea. But he was charged with it. Are you his lawyer? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have no idea. I was just wondering. I'm like, oh, do they... Because you yeah. know sometimes there's like some charge that seems totally like... Maybe they just threw it at him because they're like, why is he breaking in? And he right. was like, I'm here because I heard cries. And they're like, no. I, I have no idea. Okay. I'm sorry. That um, was a stupid okay. question. Three days later, yeah, it was the Perrier. Maybe it was. <laughs> uh, three days later, he gets 5150 and he gets sent to a psychiatric ward for three days. While he's there, he bangs his head against a cement wall in a suicide attempt, like over and over and Fuck. over again. After eight days, he's sent back to his parents' home. His face is completely puffy and battered. Um, and bruised. He looks like an absolute fucking mess physically and mentally. His sister, Anna, describes him as a broken, wounded animal, saying he wouldn't let anyone near him and was super sensitive to, to light, making sure the house was always completely dark and even disabling the fuse box at one point. I don't know why, because I'm watching Better Call Saul. So it's like, he has what Chuck has. Oh, you're just started watching it. 
Well, I'm on season three. Well, you're in the early. You're you're not. Yeah, caught I'm in up. the early. Oh. By the way, I can't stand him. I fucking hate him. Okay, but Michael McKeon. That has nothing to do with him being a good actor. The character sucks ass. Well, yeah, you're supposed to hate the character. Are you? I didn't think that initially. Oh, uh, no, you're supposed to be irritated. He's so awful. Yeah, he's awful to Chuck. I mean, he's uh, awful to Jimmy. I think initially I felt bad for him, like the first few episodes. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a complicated relationship. Well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but now I'm completely hating him. But I'm just saying, there's a scene. We'll talk. We'll save this for the mini episode. Okay, we'll save it. Okay. So... Just a few weeks after being released, he slashes his wrist in another suicide attempt. And friends and family really um, kind of gather around him and really try to get him to a stable place. Um, he does finally get to that state, and he is allowed to move on his own again, getting a place in Santa Monica. But on February 10th, he is arrested once again for cold cocking a man outside a yogurt shop. He is released on bail, and soon after his release... He walks fully clothed into the ocean and is hospitalized for hypothermia. I mean, this guy is clearly going through something. Yeah. This is like, this is a lot. This is a lot. On February 18th, he gets arrested again, this time for trying to break into uh, an apartment in Santa Monica. He said that he thought it was a friend's place that he was trying to get into. Um, It wasn't. And he is again released on bail. Now, everyone who knows him is like, okay, what's going on? This is like a different person. He starts going back and forth between lucidity and incoherence. Some people describe him as being similar to a veteran who is suffering PTSD symptoms. Um, So he is eventually prescribed drugs to treat schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, which he resists taking. So no one even knows if he ever took any of them because he could have been whatever, putting it in his cheek, not swallowing it, et cetera. Uh, He really doesn't have a clear diagnosis at this point because he refuses to participate in any testing. But his father is convinced he's suffering from uh, traumatic brain injury. In addition to the accident he had, the motorcycle accident, he beat his head. His head was beaten 17 times in that uh, fist fight he had in Northridge. (gasps) Like they were slamming his head against the cement Uh, patio. Was this the break-in? The first break-in. The first break-in. He also, as I mentioned earlier, pounded his head against the concrete in jail. So, I mean, this this is is a guy who has clearly suffered some injuries to his head at the very least. uh, And probably, it's probably a little deeper than that. Now, as we all know, head trauma can lead to behavioral changes, especially if it is frontal lobe injuries which uh, damage there can lead to impulse control issues as well as violent outbursts. So this definitely kind of fits what's happening right now. Right. Uh, But but they don't know because they can't test. In order to avoid jail time, Johnny's lawyer tries to get him into a drug treatment facility, but Johnny's not a drug user. Right. So they basically lie to get him into this uh, treatment facility. On May 23rd, 2012, after two months in lockup, he is transported to Ridgeview Ranch in Altadena. This is a treatment facility that uh, helps people with psychosis and substance abuse. His family obviously is like, it's better for him to be there than in jail. Uh, In an email he sent to friends on June 12th, 2012, he says, the core of the story is that I was involved in a fight. My actions were self-defense, but by means uh, were a glass bottle. After a few court dates, a stint in county jail, and the realization that there is no self-defense law in California, I am back on my feet and doing well. The court case is still ongoing, but from what we're hearing, it has every good chance of getting dropped outright or disappearing with time served. 
At the end, he wrote, on a side note, we are pleading rehab to avoid trial, addicted to marijuana. What a trip. Um, Now, this claim of him being addicted to marijuana didn't exactly fly with the people at Ridgeview. Uh, So he switches eventually and pretends to be addicted to alcohol. He says, that demon rum, man, it possessed me to some of his friends. And they (laughs) they buy that more for whatever reason. Yeah. So despite the questionable uh, diagnosis and treatment for this disease he really didn't have, his mental state does begin to improve after spending time there for a few months. Well, is he taking medication? Uh, I don't know that he is, because they're treating him for alcohol abuse now, not for any um, psychosis. Right. So in one of his final journal entries from July of 2012, he wrote, I felt more whole today, more complete, like parts of myself had been stolen in my sleep and scattered all over the world. And now they've begun to return. I'm more determined than ever. I'll face what I am. I'll face what I was. But eventually he's like, I want out of here. I don't want to stay in this rehab either. Uh, So he fires his lawyer and decides to stand trial for the Northridge assault. He represents himself uh, in court. Not a good sign. (laughs) So obviously he loses and gets sentenced to a year in jail. He ends up spending only six weeks in jail because of overcrowding. He gets released. So on September 21st, 2012, he is released from uh, jail. He asks his father to see if there is space for him at the writer's retreat. Kathy Davis is immediately like, sure, your old room is ready and waiting for you uh, whenever you're ready to show up. Now, although Michael's, uh, Michael, Johnny's dad, thinks the serenity of this serenity of this home will be good for Johnny. He doesn't really mention to Kathy any of Johnny's recent uh, issues. When he calls Johnny to check on him his first night in this um, writer's retreat, Johnny seems agitated again. And this would be the last time he spoke to him. Just a day later, both Johnny and Kathy would be dead. So on September 26, 2012, this is the day police arrive at the writer's villa and they find Johnny lying in the middle of the driveway, his head completely smashed in. And they like assess immediately that he probably fell from this roof 15 feet above and died instantly. As they enter the home, they find broken glass outside of Johnny's room and a hammer with blood on it. They follow a trail of blood and debris, eventually finding a dead cat in the shower. This cat, by the way was loved by all residents. It is like when you go to a store that has a cat, it is that vibe. Everyone fucking loves this cat. Uh, Her name was Jessie and she was a very good girl. So they enter next Kathy's room. It is also destroyed. Kathy's body is on the floor next to her bed. Her face had been beaten in and is covered in blood. The official report released two months later reveals that Davis had likely been killed by blunt force trauma to the head. Investigators believe that just minutes after he introduced himself to Dan Blackburn, Lewis went back to the villa and confronted Davis in her room. Now, no one knows what this confrontation was about, but one rumor floating around was that he had gone to the fuse box the day before and turned off the electricity, and Davis confronted him about that, giving him a warning not to do that again, which lines up with what he did with his parents' house, uh, so it makes sense. He got so enraged by this, though, that he punched and strangled her and possibly stomped on her head. He then killed the cat, and that was when he left the house and attacked the painter next door as well as the Blackburns. He then went back to the villa, up to the roof or upper patio, and either jumped or slipped off uh, that height. Now, the death was not ruled a suicide. It was ruled an accident. 
Now, around this time, there was um, a lot of horrific bath salts-related crimes. I remember. So initially, people were like, oh, this is bath salts, or this is a meth-induced uh, rage that happened. Dude, um, bath salts, K2, spice, that was like a whole era. There was also some uh, new designer psychedelic drug called Smiles. Yeah. Uh, so this was all... Uh, like Everyone's immediate thing was... This has got to be drug related. But do you remember that when like a weird crime would happen and everyone would be like, that person was on bath salts? Do you remember the cannibal in Florida? Of course. I mean, that was the big one. The Florida cannibal. And they like came upon him like eating someone. He was just eating some guy. Uh, I mean, it was scary. It's kind of weird because it just went away, right? Like, I feel like we don't hear about bath salt related crimes anymore. Uh, We don't even hear about people taking bath salts anymore. It's It's weird. Because why did it stop? It's still cheap. Did they take whatever was in it out, maybe? I have no idea. Um, anyway, his toxicology Wait, report... Wait, they still sell bath salts? They don't? At, like, the smoke shops? Oh. Did you think it was actual bath salts? Yeah, I did. No. <laughs> I did. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Wait, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's not bath salts. It's like they sell it at smoke shops. For what? Under the guise of, oh, it's bath salts. Oh, but it's something else? It's like this weird chemical that makes you like rip your face off. But but it must have a good part too. No, it doesn't. So why would people do it it's if it's just same... about ripping your face off? Well, I don't know. Like I, so obvi- was it speed or? I don't know. I got sober before then. But okay. uh, they also had spice, which was a synthetic marijuana at these smoke shops like I had okay. I had shops and and that was under the it was sold under the banner of its incense oh. but I remember back in the in this time when like kids at sober living would buy spice and take spice in the sober living so is it like a loophole like technically it's not marijuana it's still you're still not sober well I'm not saying that you're not but I'm saying in their head in their head there it's course. like a loophole yeah it's a classic, I'm just taking bath salts it's a classic addict move um no i really had no idea i just figured there was some chemical because there's a lot of things that people take like right. sudafed or whatever that's sort of on the shelves but has some chemical oh, yeah. in it i was a big fan of robo tripping when i was a kid or even like <laughs> rubbing alcohol like people used to drink that oh, sometimes yeah. i mean so yeah i had no idea what it was i just assumed it was like bed bath i honestly love that uh see how innocent i am <laughs> um so yeah, but I, as I said, his toxicology report came back nothing. There was no drugs or alcohol in his system at this time. No meth, not even any prescribed medications. Like he was on nothing. Now, the next thing people wanted to blame was Scientology. They are famously anti psychiatry and probably against a lot of those medications. But Johnny's dad was really the one encouraging him to go on these medications despite his high level in Scientology. He wanted Johnny to get on these meds, and Johnny refused. See, he knows some people need him. Yeah, I mean, come on. So obviously those who were close to him were asked to express their feelings of this story. Katy Katy Perry was approached. She said that she was devastated. Actress Shannon Woodward also tweeted, Johnny Lewis, I love you deeply and madly, and always my heart is broken in a million little pieces. Johnny Lewis was one of my best friends. He was very, very ill. His actions were a despicable result of that. It was not who he was. Uh, Johnny's parents, at the at the time, they couldn't even believe uh, the allegations. In their mind, he is a peaceful person. 
The dad said he kept expecting to get a phone call asking him to pick up Johnny at the airport, saying it was just an acting exercise to get him ready for some thriller movie he was working on where everyone thinks he's dead, but he really isn't, like that kind of level of denial. He said Johnny was the bright star of our lives. We always looked up to him, and now I guess we'll have to look up a little higher. Uh, Kurt Sutter, the creators of Sons of Anarchy, released a statement eventually regarding Lewis's death. He said... It was a tragic end for an extremely talented guy who unfortunately had lost his way. I wish I could say that I was shocked by the events yesterday, but I was not. I am deeply sorry that an innocent life had to be thrown into his destructive path. I mean, the the weird thing about this case is that it's just, there's no, like, nothing has ever been figured out. No. No one knows what happened to this guy who seems like this was not who he was. Right. Uh, so what was the cause of this final year where everything sort of went out of control. It's just so fucking fucked up, this whole case. It's really sad. And it's obviously sad that um, she, these innocent victims got uh, involved in, in his, uh, like, like Kurt Sutter said, this like destructive path he was on. Um, But he clearly was going through something that no one could help him out of. It's just, what was it? Uh, That's what we don't know. Um, a lot of the Reddit boards I was on talk about him having a role in Criminal Minds. Do you remember him on he, Criminal Minds playing a serial killer? Uh, I do. I do remember that he was on Criminal Minds, but I don't remember that episode specifically. Apparently he was a serial killer who would touch people to see if they were cold. Oh, yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. Look, so, there was a lot of... <laughs> you're like, I watched 800 episodes seen, in two weeks. <laughs> I've seen 800 episodes of Criminal Minds. That makes sense that... Yeah. So they were all trying to find some like meaning in that, but no. obviously he said creepy things in that show as a serial killer that don't relate to his real life. If, if whenever an actor, d- d- people always try and find meaning in like a role they played or right. Um, Why not Chili from OC? Like, what did he say? Yeah, <laughs> he probably said some real chill things. Yeah, that was a chill character. So yeah, those are our FX stars. Horrible uh, endings. Horrible. Yeah, sorry, this was not a funny episode. But you know what? They can't all be. Well, I guess now I know what I'm going to do next week will be a more lighthearted episode. Okay, that's That's, what we got to do. Go back and forth. That makes my job easier now. I'm not going to do a murder case. I know, we've done a lot of murders in a row. But some of them are a little funnier. But we're also doing a month of pure mayhem next month. Okay, so we got to get some serious stuff in so we can keep our um, investigative journalist uh, credentials. (laughs) God damn. Okay, we are actually we didn't do an after show last week. We're gonna do an after show right now. And we will see you all later in the week for our mini episode. Yes. You guys are amazing. Bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.